tonight. We're talking about philosophy. Uh, two weeks ago when we last met, we did theology, and we're starting on the, this, the individual disciplines that each worldview um, has to provide answers for. Uh, not only does Christianity have to provide answers, but so do all of the other worldviews. And, and when we look at it, it was which worldview best provides the answers for all of the disciplines and all of the problems. And, um, you know, John Stone Street with Breakpoint Ministries and Chuck Colson's ministry, he's, he's always talking about, you know, he'll bring up an issue. And, you know, what we find out is, is when an issue arises, that's where we find out if a worldview is big enough to handle all of those issues and to provide answers for those things. And when a worldview falls short of providing an answer for a particular issue, we know oh, that's a flaw within that worldview, right? And that's something that works against it. And right, we have the, the biblical worldview because we believe it best answers all of the issues and the solutions and the problems that we have in the world. Christianity best answers all of those world, all of those issues. So tonight we're talking about philosophy. Now I'm not a big philosophy type of person. The classes just bore me out of my mind. Uh, but there are some, and there's people that love it. There's people that love it, and amen for those people that are there. I'm not one of them. I know enough philosophy that, that when I hear a statement, it's like, yeah, that's not a scientific statement. That's a philosophical statement that's trying to be passed off as a scientific statement. And I think at least we need to understand those aspects of philosophy. So anyway, so we're going to get started in this tonight. If you have any questions, just let me know as we go along. Right? C.S. Lewis said a good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered. We need to have good philosophy because there's bad philosophy out there in the world. Uh, this is simple as that. Uh, I walked into is my youngest son and in, in his office, he's, he's in the ministry, and he had this hanging on the wall, and this was the first time I saw it, and I thought, wow, that's, I think that's kind of neat. If I understood it, I'd, I'd be more impressed by it, but anyway, we need to have good philosophy. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a quick class. I'll just tell you that right now. It'll be 7.15, and we'll walk out of here. Anyway, what is philosophy? Philosophy is the study and the gaining of wisdom. It's the study and gaining of wisdom wisdom, right? Um, Luke 10, 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. And unfortunately, sometimes when we get into the whole church thing, we, we seem to drop that last part with all your mind. And I think this is probably one of the one of the marks against the church probably probably in the last century is is we've given up the intellectual high ground to the other worldviews. Right? We just got we just we just gotta have faith and we just gotta we just gotta share the gospel and, and those are all true things, but we should not give up the intellectual aspects of our faith. Because once we leave that right? That creates a void or a vacuum. Something else is going to fill that. Something else is going to fill that void. And if we're not filling it from a biblical perspective, it's going to be filled from a non-biblical perspective. So I think we really, as a church, we need to regain, this is churches in the general, we need to regain that intellectual high ground. Man, some of the best thinkers have been Christians, right? Some of the best early scientists were Christians, the best artists were Christians. The best musicians were Christians, right? And I, th I fear we've given that up. And that's a part of the worldviews that we need to reclaim if we want to create a culture of flourishing within our society. And that, again, we're to love God. This is including our minds. We are to loving with our intellect with our minds with our thoughts as we work through that process it's not just always just an emotional aspect of worship there's this mindful aspect of worship uh, psalms 910 or proverbs 910 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom this is not in there. I guess the thought discouraged me, and I should. You know, we, you know, philosophy is the gaining of wisdom. What is wisdom? Right? I'm always talking about defining our terms, and I didn't do it here. But what is wisdom? Do what you know and, and use it 
Yeah, it's using it correctly. It's, you know, I call it, it's, pro, it's uh, properly applied knowledge. It's properly applied knowledge. We, I can know a lot of information, but do I know how to properly use that information? And again, when we look at next week, we're going to be talking about ethics, and so I'm probably going to rain on that parade just a little bit here so I can, I can bring this concept in. And that is, man, from a technological perspective, man, we as a culture, as a world, as a society, man, our technology has far advanced our ethics to, to know how to apply it. We literally suffer from a lack of an ethical framework to rightly apply the technology that we have today. Right Today, the idea is if we can do it, we should. If it can be done, we should do it. And so whether you're talking about you know, cloning pigs and sheep and IVF and all this other stuff, metaverse, if that ever comes out to be, just because it can be done doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. It doesn't necessarily, and we don't, as a society, we, we struggle with an ethical framework to even properly handle the technology that we have. Wisdom is properly applied knowledge, right? The scriptures tell us that we can have knowledge and knowledge puffs up, right? Where it makes us conceited, it makes us think more highly of ourselves because I know stuff that somebody else doesn't know. That's just knowledge, and it's all over the place, and people have all kinds of knowledge. We need to have wisdom. How do we properly use that knowledge? So God created us as thinking beings. All wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding begins with God. He is the foundation. He is the root. It starts from his throne, from his feet, from his domain. So what does it mean? This truth. All truth is God's truth. What does that mean? All truth is God's truth. That would be a question. Okay, absolute. And, and that is true. God's truth is absolute. It's, it's objective. But the idea that all truth is God's truth. What's that, Joseph? Because he said so. Mm. so. Then you get into kind of an idea, because if he said something wasn't, you know, then we, right, we're going to get into this idea. Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. All truth is God's truth. Wherever we find truth, that's God's truth. And again, every worldview has some truth in it. Every worldview has some truth, right? We can get into postmodernism, right? And their big thing is, you know, uh, it's a social construct. Everything's a social construct, right? And everything is not a social construct, but there are things that can be social constructs. So there's a little bit of truth in that idea. And the same thing, we can get in with secularism. We can find, man, science can reveal knowledge and truth to us. It doesn't give us all, but it does give us, we can get some truth out of that. And so every worldview's got some truth in it. And that truth that's in that worldview, it comes from God. It doesn't come from humanity. It doesn't come from social constructs. If it's true, it comes from God. And that's God's truth. And again, so we, we, can, we can use truths that are found in other worldviews as a bridge to cross over in a discussion. It can open up a door that we can talk about things that come to that. And we're going to sit there and see where Islam, there's some aspects of Islam that, that line up with Christianity, an idea of dualism. We'll get to that in just a minute. But that allows us to bridge a conversation where we can find agreement, where we can find unity, where we can find truth that can be beginning of a discussion point with somebody from another worldview. So all truth is God's truth. Study of philosophy involves the study of what is ultimately real, right? Metaphysics would be the term for that, what is ultimately real. And then the study of knowledge and how, what, and how we know what we know, epistemology, right? It's how do we know what we know, right? When you get into New Age, 
And, you know, right, and the spirituality and the consciousness is like, what, do you really know that? And it's like, I, I am, therefore I exist. Well, do you really exist? Right? I had, anybody have philosophy in college? Did you, ever have, did you ever have a professor sit there and try to convince you that you don't really exist? Right? I mean, that's a big philosophical exercise that can take place. And you're like, well, I'm here talking to you. Yeah, but, you know, and they go through all this philosophical gymnastics and hieroglyphics and stuff. And well, I think I, well, I thought I existed. Well, maybe I don't exist. Which means maybe I don't really have to pay you for this class. Well, then you'll exist. At least your paycheck exists, right? So anyway, so how do we know epistemology, right? And there's three big questions that philosophy tempts needs to answer, right? And that is, what is ultimately real? What does it mean to know? And with what part of our being do we contemplate these questions? Where do we contemplate these questions? Is it in our mind? Is it in our soul? Is it in our spirit? Is it just part of our DNA and our chemical makeup of neurons firing and we just re really don't know, any we just react? So what is ultimately real, right? This is dealing with the material and the immaterial or the spiritual or the supernatural. All right, and that's the material. Yeah. The spiritual is supernatural. So you got material and immaterial. What is ultimately real? Well, that came out wrong. Uh, monists believe reality consists of only one thing, such as materialism. I got these things coming up wrong, so I apologize about that. I need to go back and fix it. So... There's only one aspect. There's materialism only, or naturalism would fall into that. And then you get into materialism also believes the, only the material world exists. There's nothing outside of the material world. Dualist, right, they believe reality consists of two things. That's material and immaterial, or the supernatural and the natural. So you've got mon monism or monistic, and you got dualist. Questions on that? We good? All right. So here's what I want you to do at your table. Spend a few minutes. Which of these worldviews are monistic and which ones are dualistic? And it's these. And you've got them on your sheet. Which ones are monistic? <laughs> you're, you're good. <laughs> and then which ones are dualistic? Take a few minutes and discuss that amongst your tables. All right. Are we good? Do you need another minute? Okay, so the biblical Christian worldview, is it, is it dualistic or monistic? Dualistic. All right, yeah, very good. How about secularism? Yeah, it's monistic. Marxist? Yep. Uh, Islam? Yeah, dualistic. And again, that's one of those areas where we would cross over and have some common ground with that. How about new spirituality? Yeah, yeah, they would actually be monistic, they would, because they believe only the spiritual realm is real and the material realm is not real. Yeah, that's kind of that trick thing when you get in there with, and they're hard to understand anyway. I mean, it just depends on what day of the week. But yeah, they would believe only, only the spiritual realm exists within the New Age consciousness. Only the spiritual realm. And what's physical, it's just not real. And then postmodernism? Yeah, yeah, it would be monistic. It would be monistic. All right. So, question number two is, what does it mean to know? What does it mean to know? Right? Scientific empiricism believes we can only know or discover knowledge via the scientific method. That's the only way. And again, we, I think we've had some discussions about this. I've had... Uh, with some atheist friends, and, and they're like, I, I only believe what, what science can reveal. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think you really believe that. No, 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 I do. You know, who are you to tell me what I really don't believe? And I says, well, do you believe in love? Well, yeah, everybody believes in love. How do you prove that scientifically? Well, you can't. It's not something that you can put in the test tube and it's verifiable. And you can, we know that it exists. We know that hate exists. We know a thought exists, an idea exists, but how do you test for those things, right? And so 
that's where that idea begins to fall about fall apart. If it's only through the scientific method that we can know truth, there's, then there's many things that get left out of the out of the equation. The problem with scientific and again, this method is you can't test with those things: goodness, justice, beauty, love, hatred, etc. They can't be tested for, but we know they exist. Question number three is, with what part of our being do we contemplate these questions? The mind-body brain problem, the mind-body problem. is the Where does the brain reside? Once you've got the brain, where does the mind reside? What's that? Your soul, and then that's eventually that's what you end up getting to. Is what about your soul? When again, now some of those worldviews, you don't have a soul, and that's what they would claim. You don't have a soul. So then again, you have to ask those questions: Is, is where does the mind reside, or is it just chemical explosions that take place in your brain, and you don't really think about anything? You're, you just react to everything. And so this becomes a challenge within philosophy is, is where does this come from? Why do we even have the ability to do that? Uh, where does the mind reside? Humans can think and reason. How does it happen? Why does my dog do that? I'm sorry? Why does my dog have that same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And then you get, well, they got different chemicals. I mean, I don't, I don't know about a dog brain, but again, there's, those are questions to ask. Can they answer them? If they can't answer those things, then their worldview is not big enough for that particular aspect. The worldview just, it, it becomes too small. So now secularism, and we'll look at each one of the worldviews and how they answer these three questions. So naturalism is the foundation of secular philosophy. Right? All that happens can be explained in terms of natural causes. There's no need to explain any other reasons. I was just talking with the students this morning about uh, David Hume, his, um, his argument against miracles. Right? And he's an 18th century Scottish philosopher, and he's got this four-point that he puts forth about you know, why, why miracles are not possible. And you can't trust miracles, and they just don't happen. Um, and so I'm just walking through this with the students, and we're just kind of breaking down his arguments. And Because the, the interesting thing is he was also a scientist, so he was an empiricist in, in these aspects. But the thing about it is, is he starts out, his premise is miracles cannot happen. And then he goes and formulates his argument to support that. Instead of going to find out, can they really happen or do they really exist, and then you begin to formulate your philosophical argument. He just starts out, they don't, and then every point that he brings up would support his idea that miracles don't exist. And that's just not the way we do things. We, is it true? Does it really exist? Can we find these things out? Well, and and, and I, I bring this up, it's at least for students, man, that was for a long time, that was a drop-dead philosophical argument against Christianity. And it's still used today on college campuses. And so, natural causes. Um, what can't be explained now will be, uh, will be in the future as science continues to advance. If we don't have an answer now, we'll, we'll have one in the future. To me, that becomes faith. That is a faith statement that comes out of the secularist realm. Well, I know there's no answers, but I do believe someday there will be answers. That's faith. That's faith. If we can't explain all things naturally, or if we can explain all things naturally, then we don't need God. Then we don't need God. Because we have an explanation. Whether it's a good explanation or not is irrelevant. We have an explanation. And then secularism, what is real, or the metaphysics? Secularists believe all things come into being without purpose or design, right? just a cosmic accident, and nothing exists beyond the material world. We live in a closed system, and there's nothing that exists outside of that system that would have any kind of effect on what's inside that system. Secularists feel no need to answer the question, how did the universe come into being in the first place? 
We don't need to answer that. Which is kind of funny from a scientific perspective. You would think, wow, we should probably, we should figure that out. We rarely go back beyond the Big Bang. That got us going. We're good. We accept that. Um, I guess back on that first point, when it says nothing exists beyond the material world, that phrase that's on that first, that first bullet point, is that a scientific statement or is that a philosophical statement? What is it? It's, phil- it's philosophical. Because you can't prove that statement within the scientific method. So it's a philosophical statement that's presented as a scientific fact. And that's one of those areas where we want to be able to see, say, uh, you know what, but that's not science. That's philosophy. But you only believe in scientism or scientific empiricism. And so it's important that we can identify, oh, it's a philosophical statement that's being presented as a scientific fact. Nothing exists beyond the material world. Can you prove that? It's a presupposition that we're bringing into the discussion. Um, If there is no purpose or design, why does humanity seek for purpose and design in our lives? Why does everything appear to have design? Again, if there was no purpose or design, we would never even think about purpose and design. It would never be a thought for us to consider if there was no purpose and design, but we think about it all the time, right? Especially when you buy something and you're putting it together, right? Ikea, and they're, and they're like, there ain't no way, there ain't no way an engineer designed this thing, right? We definitely think about purpose and design when we're trying to put something together. How do we know? Epistemology, the scientific method is the only source for knowing or learning within the secularist worldview. They observe, they question, they form hypothesis, they experiment, they analyze, they interpret. What happens in the interpretation process? You see, because everything else before that does belong within the scientific realm. But what, right? And the scientific method allows us to gather data on something. Whatever it is we're testing, it allows us to gather data. But the data has to be interpreted. Right? And so when I talk about the cosmological argument or how the earth began or those things that, that are dealing with those arguments, we all have the same data. Christians are looking at the same data that the atheists are looking at. It's not two sets of data. It's how are we interpreting that data? And we interpret data through our worldview. Our worldview is the lens by which we interpret data. Now, I'm not saying that you can't turn around and be non-biased in your interpretation. You just have to really work at that. You have to really work at that. Right? And it was just, I was just reading a quick article today. Um, Richard Dawkins, right? You know, he's an atheist, evolutionary biologist, and, you know, I probably disagree with just about everything the guy says. But, you know, he comes out and he, you know, he puts his stake in the ground and he says, no, there's only two sexes. You're male or you're female. Biologically, that's all we got. And I'm like, hey, we agree on something. But again, that's where he's coming from. You would think that if he's going to be consistent with his secularist worldview, he would have to end up there. And that's where he ends up. So at least we give him credit for being consistent with that aspect of his worldview. Uh, but all data is interpreted through a worldview. All data. Uh, the immaterial and the supernatural are automatically ruled out because of the scientific method cannot be applied to it. And again, that's back to David Hume, his article or his argument against miracles. He's walked into that believing there are no miracles and they cannot happen. Um, automatically ruled out. And again, that's how we get to atheists get the, there is no God. Well, you can't prove that there is no God. So how did you come to that conclusion? 
Well, it's a presupposition. It's an idea that they've already brought into the discussion. There is no God because I can't test for him, then there can't be a God just because I can't test for it. But then we have to go back to love, hate, ideas, thoughts. We can't test for those, but we do know those exist. Uh, so it's a presupposition that they bring into it. Carl Sagan, all right, he said the cosmos is all there is or all that will ever will be. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's wrong with that statement? Yeah, you can't prove it. I mean, this guy was a scientist. He's a brilliant guy. And he makes this statement, and so we know he's a scientist. He's an astrophysicist. He's an astronomer. He does all this stuff. Oh, well, that's got to be a scientific statement. Well, it's, it's not a scientific statement. It's a philosophical statement made by a scientist. It can't be proven. So we need to be, again, we need to be able to identify a philosophical statement from a scientific statement. And Marxism, right? Again, they're akin to um, secularism. They believe materialism, naturalism, scientific empiricism. Uh, of course, they add the dialectical materialism to the equation. This is a reminder uh, dialectical materialism says that not only do people evolve, but so do societies, right? Through the collision of the thesis and the antithesis, and which in turn create a synthesis, and that's the class struggle that takes place. For Marx, it was an economic class struggle. What we see today under postmodernism, it's a social class struggle. The idea is still the same. It's just you've got a few different terms and how they're looking at that. Uh, Postmodernism, how do we know, right? They fall under this idea of anti-realism, right? They deny the existence of objective reality or what's called the correspondence theory of reality. In other words, what is real, what is true is that which corresponds to reality. They deny that, they reject that adamantly, and they would sit there and say that it's a social construct, right? Truth is a social construct that's formed through community agreement, Therefore, what is true for you may not be true for me. Right? And so that's this idea with a social construct. Here's the thing is, is what, man, reality is unbelievably unforgiving. Reality is not going to give in to your social constructs, into your gender identity struggles. There's what is real, and you, can, and you can work, and you can live, and you can walk along trying to create your own reality, but eventually you're going to hit the wall of reality. And you're not going to be able to escape that. And it's going to be a mess. Because reality is unforgiving. Yeah, Jeff. Postmodernism, you mean? Yeah, they would not be into the sciences. Postmodernism would not be into the sciences. They would call that a meta narrative, and they reject all meta narratives. Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh huh. Well, for them, what they would turn around and say, they would talk about lived experience. And your lived experience is going to be different than my lived experience. So they would reject the Heisenberg. They would reject that. Because your lived experience can lead you to a truth that's different than my lived experience. And that's why we, your truth and my truth can be the same, even though they conflict. And so they, they would reject that idea that the observer affects that. Yeah, they would reject it. But then again, they can because that's just not their social construct. Again, it's, it's hard to understand. It's even more difficult to live out and consistently live that out, though, within postmodernism. Again, if, it, if it's going to tie to a, a, a grand story, a meta narrative, they're going to reject it. Only as it happens within your community and whatever you decide to be true within your community, that's your truth, even though it rejects or conflicts with this community here. 
Okay. Well, that, that might be a good thing. I mean, that might be a good thing that you can't wrap your mind around that. I'm, yeah, it's, that, could, that could be a benefit. Okay. So two key, uh, two key concepts that drive their epistemology are pragmatism and constructivism. Okay, whatever works, that is true. Right, pragmatism. Or constructivism, we understand the world by developing mental constructs to explain what we see. These constructs are influenced by our experiences and our biases. And that kind of goes back to what we were just, what we were talking about. It's your experience and my experience, they're real experiences. And they are. And, and, we, and we cannot deny that, you know, we can, we can walk through the same experience, but we can see it differently. We can process it differently. And the experience is real, a car crash. The experience is real. It's where we start to get into trouble is, is I am now determining truth on how I respond or feel to that experience, to that car crash. And so that becomes my truth. We process it improperly because we don't have a foundation for claiming something is true or not. And so we end up with the experiences and our biases that are read into that. And again, they can, there's 40 different people in here. You can have 40 different truths, but they're all true, even if they conflict with one another, because our experiences will determine that. Okay, so new age. What is real or new spirituality, right? The spiritual monism, all of reality is spiritual and nothing is really material, so it's a monistic idea. Consciousness is where ultimate reality is found. Now, trying to find somebody that's actually found consciousness, that becomes a struggle. Right? How do we know? Uh, we gain knowledge by getting in touch with our consciousness. Truth is learned by experience, not by scientific knowledge. And again, it's kind of a postmodern idea also. Yeah, never mind, I, I've discussed that. Uh, Islam, what is real? It's dualistic. There's natural and there's supernatural, the material and immaterial. Right? How do they know? Right? The first is via special revelation from Allah, and you find that in the Quran and the Hadith, and this knowledge is infallible. It is infallible. To ask a Muslim, how do you know that's true, is almost like a foreign question. Because for them, the authority that is over them says it's true. The Quran says it's true. The Hadith says it's true. So it's true. We don't, we don't question that. We don't question that. We don't need to provide any evidence for that. Because the authority said. Because the authority said so. And it's infallible. Knowledge gained through science or experience, this knowledge is fallible. Right? So they almost kind of flip that idea from secularism. Okay, questions? What do you think of that? <laughs> okay, confused. What did, what did he say? There is no absolute truth, right? Even God doesn't work that way. Literally, in this, him saying in those two sentences that there is no absolute truth, he made two absolute truth statements. There is no absolute truth. That's a truth statement that he's making. And even God doesn't work that way. It doesn't click with him that he just contradicted himself. That there is no, and, and how does he know God doesn't work that way? I mean, man, there's a ton of questions that should come to our minds when we hear that to say, well, what would I say? What question would I ask? And that's really what we want to get to is what questions would I ask to carry that conversation on further? Well, how do you know God doesn't work that way? What God are you talking about? And do we even know that that God exists? 
So there's a lot of things that we can ask. And, you know, is this interesting? The guy about life, he said, look, he's like, man, don't rain on my parade. I don't even think about that stuff. And I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to do today. Man, and that is so, and that was 12 years ago when this thing was done. You know, we get to this point. It's, it's not that we think God exists or doesn't exist. We don't even think about God. I mean, that's where many people are today. He doesn't even come into my mind. Well, we were talking about that before. Why? I thought you were programmed to Yeah. Yeah, absolutely we are because we're a materialistic society. There, there's, there's no reason to think like that because all that exists is the world, this closed system that we're in. And there's no reason to even begin to think like that. And so that's the struggle. When you get somebody that just doesn't even... What do you think about God? <laughs> you know, I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that and. I don't know how long. And I would have continued happily to, to not think about that until you brought that question up. We don't even think about God. Not whether He exists or not. He just never comes to our mind. That's, the, that's where we're at. Actually, we're probably beyond that right now. Yeah, Doug. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, because it does. I mean, even in that, it shows God's word to be true because he says that's going to happen, right? And it, and it, you know, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I can turn around and say, it's, if I'm living a life that I'm not supposed to be living, right, because we still have that DNA in us of uh, being image bearers, it's like for me to think about God, and it's like, oh. And then I think about the life I'm living. As long as I don't think about him, I don't think about whether my life is right or wrong. It's just it makes me happy or it makes me sad. And it becomes a default position so that I can make it through the day. I'm just trying to get through the day. I don't think about how life began. So Christianity, how do we know? Right? Realism. Objective reality exists independently from our perceptions and language. Right? And so we can talk about some objective truth that exists out there. And whether I know that truth or not has zero effect on whether that truth actually exists. Has zero effect. The earth is round. Well, I think it's flat. Well, that's good. You're wrong. Because we know it's round. Well, I just don't feel that way. Well, your feelings are wrong. Right? Which, which is just a cardinal sin to sit there and tell somebody that they're wrong today. Right now, now I've offended, you know, half the people in the room. Regardless of whether you believe it or not, does not change the truth. That's objective reality. Our perceptions and language have nothing to do with what truth is. It's just, are we going to receive that truth or are we going to reject that truth? Those are the only options that are available. Psalms 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. All right. Knowledge comes from special revelation and general revelation. Special revelation is the Word of God. General revelation is the created order around us. Uh, faith and reason are not mutually exclusive ideas. They're not mutually exclusive. And again, you know, the world will turn around. And, uh, I'm trying to remember what Dawkins, Richard Dawkins was just, I was just listening to something. And he was, you know, faith is, is believing something that you know is not true. I think is how we define that. But we just don't let the world define what faith means. Right? Scripture defines what faith means. And faith and reason go hand in hand. 
right? Hebrews 11, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen, right? And the whole idea when you work through Hebrews is this idea of the end, right? We get to the, the, the new heaven and the new earth, and we're working through that. That's the hope and the faith that he's talking about there. So what is real? Reality starts with God, and all creation reflects aspects of his character. Reality starts with God. John 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this passage, right, it gives us guidelines to view of re, uh, as a view of reality, if I get this right, right? It's mind before matter. It's God is before people. Plan and design before creation. Life comes only from life. Intelligence only comes from intelligence. What would secularism say about those? Secularism would invert all of those. Secularism would say no matter became before the mind, if there even is a mind. They would say, no, 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 people came before God. We've just invented God. But there was no design. There was no purpose. If there is, it came after the cosmic accident. And life comes from non-life. Right? And intelligence comes from non-intelligence. That literally, secularism, this idea of evolution, would say just the opposite of those points. So if Christianity is true, atheism is false. And really, you can write out next to that, if Christianity is true, all other belief systems are false. Not just atheism, but all other belief systems outside of that are false. Again, there can be some truth in them, but they're not going to lead you to the ultimate truth. The immaterial exists and materialism is false. Supernatural exists and naturalism is false. Dualism is true and monism is false. Realism is true and pragmatism is false. Correspondence theory is true and anti-realism is false. Man, the world we live in and the evidence that is available to us says Christianity is true. It is the worldview that's big enough to handle all of life's problems, all of life's questions. Christianity can handle those questions of life. They can do it consistently and they can do it eternally. So if you don't cultivate a biblical worldview, you'll passively absorb a false one. So then here's a question. We can passively absorb a false worldview, right? And I know that's true even in my own life. Can we passively absorb a biblical worldview? Yeah. Okay. 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 Anything else? Yeah, I think you get that idea. You can passively absorb ideas or aspects of the Christian worldview because people do it all the time. People do it all the time where they'll absorb. It's just what we can't do is get it all through absorption. We can't come up with a purely as pure as we could live out a biblical worldview, we can't do that by accident. We can't do that by mistake. We have to actively grow that in our lives and in our thought process. It's something we have to work on every single day to cultivate a biblical worldview. And again, the same way that we can, I can absorb a false you know, evolution. Right? I can be a Christian and I can believe in evolution and still be a Christian. I'm just wrong on that part. I'm just wrong on that part. 
And, and again, it could be any of those types of ideas. And again, you'll, you'll find um, you know, secularists that hold to biblical ideas. They just don't have a biblical worldview. And it becomes that syncretistic idea that takes place where we just kind of a hodgepodge of, of what we tend to believe. Okay? Questions? Great. Is it what? Gospel. Is it gospel? Well, you could turn around and say, what is the gospel? Uh, again, we, we throw, and again, I hear what you're saying. We throw terms out like that without explaining what the terms are. Be- well, and again, you could say the gospel is 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. This is of first importance that Jesus lived, he rose, he died for us that we may have eternal life through him. That's the gospel message. But that's not all of the Christian life. We don't get saved and then we're just done, right? We're called to work out our salvation. So we need to literally define what our terms are. Is it gospel? Well, the Bible's more than just the gospel. And, I, and again, I agree, with, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And that's that idea. There's growth that comes, right? We get saved, and then we're expected to grow sanctification. We become more Christ-like. Those are all expectations within the Christian walk. But that becomes more than 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. God calls us more than just to the gospel. It'll, the biblical worldview will never be less than the gospel, but it's always going to be more than the gospel. I don't know if I said that. Did that maybe? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, there's been times when somebody's put something out there and then I just launched into a rebuttal of that. And then they're like, yeah, that's, that's not what I meant at all. And I just wasted 30 minutes instead of saying, well, hey, Michael, what did, what did you mean by that? Oh, well, I mean this. Oh, okay, well, that's completely different than what I was thinking. So, yeah, I mean, and the idea of theology, literally what's, what's, what we're seeing is, is, is this, you, you mentioned theology and you mentioned doctrine, is there are people in the process of redefining doctrine. They redefine words. Hang on a second, Henry. They redefine words, and then it allows them to redefine the doctrine. Because once you undercut the doctrine of the church, you've undercut the church from that perspective. Henry. I, I use, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the first thing is the NASB is God's word, okay, and then everything else is just 
it kind of hits her. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, no, never mind. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I use that because that's what I, that's what I read and study and memorize out of. And so it's, but yeah, I mean, it's, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the 95. Uh, hang on a sec. Yeah, yeah, we are definitely intellectually lazy people. And I'm just saying that just generally speaking, we are intellectually lazy people. And even within the church, I mean, what's this new, I, man, I, I can't, I know I'm going to get this wrong, but it's this new technology that's out there, right? You can just put in your ideas and it'll write a paper for you. That's what it is, the chat. I said, man, it's not like we're not lazy enough as it is. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to cite Wikipedia because it gets everything right. Right. It's, it's, so now we're just going to do this chat thing and it's just, I'm just going to put in my key things and it's going to write my sermon for me. It's going to write my paper for me. And I thought, oh my gosh, can we get any lazier? We cannot be, yeah, probably we can. Yeah, you're right. We probably can, to be honest with that. But as Christians, man, that's, that cannot be a part of our life. Doug. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 88%. Yeah. Yeah, she just said it way better than I did. That was the great thing about it was. It was just like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 88% of the people have a syncretistic worldview. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you do you do get that idea of consistency, and, and that was, um, again, I can't remember who said this. He said, man, I, I love your Jesus. I just don't like your Christianity. And it's because Gandhi, yes, it was, thank you. Yeah, that said that, and it's the idea is, is, man, we don't, we struggle to live out our worldview, and everybody does to consistently live it out. We struggle to live that thing out, and again, that's why we need to constantly, actively be be working at that that we're that we are living our worldview out. Um, so when we come, and so we do need to do that. But what we need to remember is is we don't judge a worldview by the abuses that are found in that worldview. We judge a worldview by the tenets of its belief. We judge it by the tenets of its belief. Diane, hang on a second. I don't have those with me today. I do not. It was, um, I, I'm just shooting from the hip on this. It was, there was 35 and younger, and they ended up, 43% had a biblical worldview 100% of the time. The middle range, which is 35 to 60-ish, they were 63% of the time, and up was like 46% of the time. But the thing I caution on that is, is knowing 
the right answers and living the right answers become two different things. And again, it's that idea of knowledge and application. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Summit. It was, yeah. It was just a U.S. population, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's called worldview checkup. Is 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 where you would find that at? Yeah. I want to bring this back to here and now and practical to my life. Uh huh. With all the people arguing and all the people that don't listen, don't think. How do I respond to get them to think? How do I respond to get them in a conversation? Not an argument, yeah. but a conversation. Here we have a nice conversation with all this stuff and nobody's pounding the table at all. But a lot of times when I go out places and God forbid that you get into any kind of politics or religion mm -hmm. or, or why you do things. And then somebody's there ready to have an argument with you. Yeah, here's what, hold up that tactic book, Bart. Tactics. Get that book and read that book. It's the art of asking questions. Look, Americans are famous. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what I know. Right? We're, we're famous at that, right? We've got this, this, this aggressive individualism, this autonomous individual. And so I just want to share with you all of this. And it's like, just learn to ask questions. And it's and it's you look, you don't even have to read the book. The book is awesome. Learn these three questions. When somebody says, what is the gospel? That's what Graydon said. Well, 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 what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the gospel? Okay, and then Graydon tells me what the gospel is. Well, how did you come to that conclusion? And then he gets to tell me how he figured out what the gospel is. And then I can sit there and say, well, have you ever considered the Quran? And it just becomes, but we don't ask questions well. We, we don't ask questions well, but we need to learn. Because if we can ask questions well, and not just as, I know where you're going and I can get you there and it'll be, I, you know, and I can do all that. And it would be, it furthers the conversation. Well, yeah, absolutely, because now it becomes offensive and that's, that's where we're at. But again, questions are going to help bridge that gap. Because I can turn around and disagree with you with something without saying that on the front end. I can just say, well, how would you get that? How, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And then you get to tell me. Well, I mean this. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that before. How did you learn that? Well, it just I kind of I, I like that idea over here, and I like this idea here, and then I like this, and then we end up with a syncretistic worldview. And then we can say, is it true? Or is that working for you? I mean, again, there's, there's thousands of questions you can ask that can just keep the conversation going. And as long as you're asking the questions, you control the conversation. Eventually, you'll have to give answers. Eventually, you'll have to give answers. If we're going to speak the truth and share the truth and see people come to the truth or at least have the opportunity to accept it or reject it, we have to speak it. We eventually have to speak the truth. But again, we can do so. We can be kind. We can be compassionate. We can be merciful. We can be loving. But being just obstinate, it's not going to, it's certainly in our culture today, it's not going to get us there. But you, we need to learn to ask questions. That book, Tactics, is outstanding. I, I would, if you've never read it, I would encourage you to get it and read it. It's, it's, it's a great book. Uh, yeah, we sell that in the bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> Come and, come and get you a copy or two or three. It's all good. Um, next week is ethics. So it should be a fun one. Uh, so we'll talk about ethics next week. And then I, I got to say this because in case I forget, uh, April the 5th. What's that? Yeah, April the 5th, 
we will not be in this room for that one night. We will be in W125, and I'll say this again next week, but we'll be in W125 on April the 5th, which is the week after next Wednesday. Yeah, they moved them. Yep, they moved them out of that, and um, just because of the ice and everybody's is going in different places. So I think they're moving women's ministry in here, and we're going to move into that. And but hopefully, I'll I'll say that again next week. But April the fifth, the week after next Wednesday, we'll be in W one twenty five for that one Wednesday night only, and then we'll move back into here. Let me close us in prayer. Dear blessed Father, Lord, we just thank you that all truth is found in you. And if it's, if it's true out there in the world, we know that it's come from you. Lord, may we seek your truth. May we seek your love. May we seek your mercy and compassion. Uh, Lord, that the fruits of the Spirit would be abundant in our lives, O oh Lord. Um, that we would see people as image bearers of you. That we would desire for them to come and know you. Uh, Lord, that we would love them. That we would speak truth to them. Lord, that we'd be an encouragement and a help. Because, Lord, we want to be your hands and feet, and we want to do it well according to your word, according to the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. So I pray your blessings upon each person that's here this evening. Give them safe travel mercies home, Lord. Uh, let them be a city upon the hill, wherever their sphere of influence is, that your light would shine in and through them. And, Lord Jesus, we love you and bless you, and it's in your glorious name we ask these things. Amen.